Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. Uh, the Port St. Lucie Diaries, episode three. I'm here with Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. We are in Due South Brewing Company, uh, just outside of West Palm Beach, uh, having some nice beer, having some good food, some duck fat fries, which are delightful. Yes. And um, we saw our third Met game. Chris's second, my third of the trip, yep. uh, which was the Mets defeating the Houston Astros at uh, Ballpark of the West Palms. This is called, right? Uh, yeah. Ballpark of the, the Palm Beaches. Sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ballpark of the, it's, it's kind of a pretentious name. Yes, um, it does. <laughs> but a, a very nice ballpark. Yeah. Um, Chris got some amazing photos today. Thank you. At the ballpark. Um, and, yeah, so I guess let's start with uh, with this morning. So this morning you and I went to um, Clover Park. Had yep. to get used to that name. It's not first day to field anymore. Nor is yeah. it Tradition Field. Nor, what was it before Tradition Field? It was. Uh, I don't know. I think when I first started coming down here, it was like they had lost sponsorship, and they just sort of like were like, uh, from, "Tradition again." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so from I don't. The Mets I don't, home of the spring training or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was then. I think it was Tradition for the first few years. I came down, and then first Data, now Clover. Yeah. Um, it's not Clover Field, but it's Clover Park. I, right. Everybody wants to say Clover Field, but it's right. not. It is not a JJ Abrams. Uh, project yeah <laughs> um, but, but so uh we got we got there earlier this morning and um 
we had I had a nice chat, and Chris asked one question as well yes. with uh, Riley Gilliam, who the reason I wanted to talk to him was because, and I say this in the interview, you know, he was reading Don Quixote in the clubhouse, and that's just not what you see ball players typically doing. Right. Um, and we're going to insert that audio here in just a minute, but what was sort of your impression talking to Riley for a few minutes? Uh, considering he's still pretty young, you know, he's not that far removed from college. Uh, he's he moved up the ranks in the minors pretty quickly, uh, you know, and, and that's he's he's a relief pitcher, but that's you know that's not something that every relief pitcher does, you know? right? Sure. Um, or so it's it's kind of rare. So uh, it seemed like he was mature for his age, and you know for what he's done. And I, I guess you know you wouldn't expect anybody to get too much of a of an ego or too full of themselves. Potentially, right? Until they're, you know, at the highest level, uh, when they're still trying to make it and not making a ton of money, you, that's probably a more humbling experience. But it just seemed like this guy was uh, not your average professional athlete. Yeah, um, and you know, definitely easy to talk to. Uh, not like generic quotes. Right. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't hear anything about one day at a time. Right. Or, you know, trusting your process, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Any of that. So it was, you know, it would just, uh, yeah, yeah. And last, I, I, the last time we had a relief pitching prospect on the podcast, his season didn't, his major league debut season, and the one after it didn't go so well. No, it didn't. Uh, so hopefully we're gonna yes. establish that this isn't a curse, and he, he <laughs> makes it and he does well. Yes, I'll also say, and you'll hear this in the interview in just a minute, but I was really impressed with his cognizance of having a work-life balance. Like, he pretty much said that he, baseball was too much of his life last year, and he wanted to, like, develop interests outside of baseball. I think that's just a very healthy thing for someone to do. Oh, yeah. And especially uh, especially relief pitching. Even though you might pitch on any given day, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, – I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot of downtime. And, and not only that, but with, with relief pitching, it's so volatile. Right. Like, you know – a position player will rarely have as bad of a day if he goes 0 for 5 mm-hmm. as a relief pitcher will be if he does his equivalent of 0 for 5. Right. So, you know, I think there's just the, the volatility built into the position makes it especially hard to – you have to get good about leaving your day behind you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, let, let's, let's hear from Riley Gilliam right now. <laughs> as soon as we start the uh, – that's all right. Um, so anyway, uh, first of all, how are you feeling this spring so far? I'm feeling pretty good, feeling prepared. Um, you know, all the work I put in into the off season, um, I think it's really paying off, and I'm just in a good spot. What was that work you put in the off season? What did you feel like you had to work on coming into 2020? So I guess my off season kind of started um, off in the fall league, and that's where I kind of refocused after coming down to St. Lucie to do a little bit of rehab at the end of the season last year. Um, my focus was really just locating my fastball um, up in the zone, basically above the barrel of the hitters, and then locating my curveball down, creating that tunneling effect uh, that's become more of a common thing to do sure. for pitchers in uh, baseball. And that was what I went into the offseason or the fall league doing. And then after the fall league, just trained um, at Rapid Sports like I did last season and uh, just started a throwing program maybe around end of November and through ever through through and up until the season, and um, that's really been my off season so far, yeah. or it was. 
uh, you know, you started last year in high A, you went up all the way in triple A. What was the biggest challenge for you at each level you climbed? Was it just a matter of getting used to the talent level? Did you try and introduce new pitches? Like, what, what was it like jumping from single A all the way up to triple A? So in, um, I guess, high A, I felt relatively prepared for that. Um, it was kind of going back to the same thing that I was talking about for this past offseason. I kept it basic. I was throwing my fastball and my curveball not really mixing in a change up and I had success you know hitters were swinging free swinging uh, more free swinging in high a uh, then I got the call to double a um, and I noticed the talent level definitely increased hitters were better they were uh, they spit on more um, pitches that were out of the zone so I wasn't getting as many swing and misses or as many um, offers um, so then I had to kind of basically hone my craft a little bit better but I still had a, um, a good bit of success in double A. Um, I didn't really change anything, just I guess more of my intent uh, via each pitch. And then when I got the call up to triple A, that's when I kind of started to press a little bit. I think that's natural moving up to sure. my third level of that mm-hmm. first season. Um, I just started to press a little bit on myself and push myself to think that I needed to get the call up to the big leagues versus just letting it happen um, naturally and when it was going to happen, you know, because at the end of the day, it is out of my control or was out of my control. So that pressing led to me um, kind of searching and trying to develop new pitches because I wasn't as um, uh, I didn't have as much command of my breaking ball and my fastball. so overall, it was just a command issue last year in AAA, and that's kind of what led to my stats being a little inflated there. Um, but like I said, I took all of that that I learned across all three of those seasons and applied that in my offseason, and hopefully that can that's all one big learning experience for uh, for the 2020 season. Yeah. It's interesting. When we hear about the Arizona Fall League, it, it's very hard to get a gauge of sort of what the talent level is like there. You know, some people say it's equivalent to AA. Some people say it's equivalent to AAA. Some say it's lower. Some say it's higher. What did you think the talent level was at the Arizona Fall League in terms of the hitters you were facing? So that was an interesting point um, that I found out when I got there was typically in past years it had been guys from AA or AAA. But this past um, Arizona Fall League season, they changed it to any – prospects I guess can go which was cool because when I'm on the mound and I'm getting my inning I could be facing a guy who hasn't passed you know a ball versus a guy who maybe you know he's a triple a veteran or maybe even a big league veteran getting some rehab um, outings so that was cool um, but also the talent level I mean everybody there was trying to perform I don't think anybody if, if anything it was just you could tell via the swings that the hitters would take whether they would spit like I was saying they would spit on the breaking ball that was in the dirt or maybe not swing uh, so be so free swinging early in the count versus a more undisciplined hitter right maybe a low a hitter or a high a hitter who's a prospect um, who maybe free swinging and chase that breaking ball earlier chase that fastball elevated early that isn't sure. their pitch necessarily sure so yeah, yeah that's that's what I noticed so I spent a couple of days in the clubhouse earlier this week, and you're looking around the clubhouse, and guys are on their phones, guys are talking with their friends, and there's one guy reading Don Quixote. <laughs> and and, and yeah. I, I said to Zach, I was like, I got to talk to that guy. Yeah. So, you know, I know baseball is a long season, and it's a long season of sitting around a lot of times. So is reading one of the things that you do to pass the time during the season and the offseason? Yeah, I would, I would say that it's definitely – it helps pass the time, but I'm trying to – I've always, I guess – since my junior year of college at Clemson, I'd, um, I've really bought into the whole reading thing, and I think that 
it's it's I like reading books that are typically self-help books, um, but it's always good every once in a while to take a break and read, you know, a fiction um, that's, you know, you can still draw lessons from and draw life, you know, examples of life from. And Don Good is one of those that I'm enjoying so far. It is helping me pass the time, but I think it's a better use of my time because it is a classic. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to say I understood or at least tried my best to underst- understand Don Quixote. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite novels. Which is why, when I saw you reading, I said, like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I think is interesting about that book is it's about somebody who is fighting an uphill battle, not just in reality, but also in his mind. And that seems like a very baseball player thing. You know, There are days when it feels good coming out of your hand, but it just doesn't, doesn't do what you want it to do. Is there a relatability factor to this sort of constant struggle that Quixote is going through? Yes, I think it's cool that you brought that up because I did notice that with between him and Sancho, his um, you know counterpart, they both are um, I guess counterparts to each other because Don Quixote is obviously in his you know he's fighting against himself because he's entering into these battles that he's creating in his own head that aren't in reality the what's happening right and so like on the mound like I guess the biggest application is you know, not getting too high and, you know, on your, on your successes and even in your lows, I guess it's kind of a keep that middle ground. Cause in Don Quixote, he's both ends of the spectrum is where he's at. He, in, I guess his failures, he looks at them as, you know, successes because he's so out of reality, but then his successes, you know, aren't always, I guess, um, his successes aren't always as grandiose as he's making them. Right. So, and then Sancho, I guess is, you know, he keeps him, tries to keep him grounded with some fact, but then he's so believe he believes him so much that he sees past his, um, I guess he's, Sancho sees past his own version of reality. I don't know. It's, it's, it can get confusing if you talk about it too much. I'm still wrapping my head around it, obviously. <laughs> Are you aware of the connection of your last name with Don Quixote? Mm-hmm. So there's a film director named Terry Gilliam who tried to make Don Quixote movie five different times, and each time the actor died, uh, a hurricane shut down production, and he finally just made it last year. It's called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. It's kind of a sequel-ish thing to it, but I thought, there's a Gilliam reading Don Quixote. Yeah. That's so cool. That's wild. I honestly, I'm going to have to check out that movie because I do, I do like movies. Yeah. Um, and... That's, I mean, that's a crazy connection. Like, yeah. That's very impressive that you found that, so that's cool. Uh, we talk about music a lot on our podcast. What's the music you're listening to right now? Whew, man, I, you know, I always, my staple's been Frank Sinatra. Um, big, my great-grandmother was his wet nurse. Really? Yeah, she, she breastfed Frank Sinatra. That's my claim to fame. That, oh, my goodness. That's and my crazy. grandfather fought him in high school. <laughs> well, dude, that's a bunch of, a more fatty, that's all I got to say to that. You know, I love a fate right there. Um, but yeah, Frank Sinatra is a big. I'm a huge fan of him. Um, a lot of, I'm kind of, I like classic music. So maybe some uh, Bobby Vinton, some Roy Caldwell. Um, that's always constants for me. Um, and then the occasional, I guess, crabcore metal, which is um, Hall of the Elders, which is my buddy's um, best friend's band. So. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Anything else that you, you do? Because I'm really interested to talk about players, what they're doing when they're not playing baseball. So what else do you do during the season to keep yourself sane? So that was one thing that I noticed last season was my life was basically centered around baseball because of the inexperience of my first full season trying to figure out everything and um, how much time actually, how much free time I actually had. 
So this offseason, you know, I last offseason actually when I was in rehab, I messed around with uh, making music um, just on Logic Pro X on my Mac, um, which I'm really into now. I'm doing that um, a couple hours a day whenever I get home from the field. Um, I this offseason got into uh, making some YouTube videos, just kind of vlog style update on my life. I want to apply that to this season and kind of make a weekly, um, you know, what it's like in the minor leagues or what it's like as a professional baseball player when in their off time mm -hmm. so you know what i'm doing whether i'm traveling to a new city that's pretty cool because we do travel a lot we go to cool places cool ballparks there's cool attractions at the places we go and i think if i can you know document that on film and get you know kind of that perspective um for the everyday fan or family or friends of mine yeah it would be um a cool thing to to watch and view so i, I like to make videos i like to make music um reading obviously video games you know that's a staple for any professional baseball player these I, days but yeah I'm, I'm curious you know you, you've come into professional baseball at a point where not only have analytics been around for a long time but like mm -hmm. stat cast exists yeah when you start your career mm -hmm. even five ten years ago it was very different you know how that is so you, you mentioned tunneling yeah uh, do you spend any time like when you're away from the field reading about that sort of stuff and getting into it or do you try to isolate you know whatever baseball stuff that you're thinking about mm -hmm. is while you're at the ballpark and then you kind of step away from it i'm just like you know it's yeah it's a very different it, we are in a different time when it comes to analytics and baseball um but i'd like to say that I, i'm not against you know research or stuff like that um you know the first person comes to my mind is like trevor bauer he's immersed in it right right um but i'm not i'm not so much as immersed in it as he is um i'd say that i like to know like whenever i'm you know before a game or whatever i'll be looking up my spin rates and my vertical axis all that crazy statistic stuff but at the end of the day man if i feel good and i'm out on the mound you know usually i try not to think about it and just leave baseball at the field and that's the big separation factor i feel like this season's gonna help me out with is the less baseball like off the field the less baseball that i can think about is going to be better because like like i told my i mean i was talking to my parents about this in the off season like I don't want to come home and only talk about, you know, where the Mets see me, where I feel like I am, who I've talked to. I feel like it's a big thing of I just want to connect with my family, like have kind of an away from baseball type mentality to where it feels, I guess, more fresh when I come back for the season. And that's how I want to approach it during the season as a whole is I want to come to the field every day and be like, man, I'm ready to get I'm ready to be here versus you know, bringing everything home with me, like whether it was a bad outing, a good outing, you know, a bad lift, a good lift. You know, bad yeah. bullpen. I want to be able to leave that at the field and then maybe reapproach that with a fresh, fresh mindset the next day. Yeah. So that'll, I guess, help prolong that, you know, um, excitement to come to the field every day. Sure. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So uh, we spent uh, a little bit of time then after afterwards uh, at batting practice yeah. for the Mets today. And we got to chat briefly with Omar Minaya. Yes. Which was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I know. He's... Uh, uh, I, I've always said this to people, you know, I've, I've met him several times over the years and, you know, he's a much, he's a, he's a much smarter, war, warmer guy. I don't think he ever seemed like he wasn't warm, but just like in a, in a role in front of a, like a room in a press conference, uh, you know, I think at times, the, obviously there were certain press conferences where it was just like, people had a, a certain perception, um, you know, there's, there's a reason why he has continue to work in baseball yes the reason why he you know wound up back with the Mets he's uh he's a very personable guy yes and you know to have some baseball acumen to go along with that personality you know that's that's a really good combo yeah absolutely you know you can especially at a time when you know and maybe the Astros are on the mind since we just came from their complex but at a time when Jeff Lundhau and his like ruthless unethical you know operation of the Astros uh, is on everybody's mind right you know it's it, it to talk to somebody even though he's a former GM at this point to talk to somebody who's not that personality right at all uh, right is, is kind of refreshing I mean I think I mentioned on the podcast yesterday that I wound up standing next to Brody Van Wagenen for uh, right. half an inning or so on Friday's game but Brody gives a similar, like, very, like, he's listening to you when you're talking. He's not looking over to the side to figure out what else is going on. Like, he's focused on you, and he's respectful of you, and he has a sense of humor about himself a little bit. And, like, it's nice to see these. I mean, look, I want the Mets to win more than I want to be friends with the GM, right? But, like, uh, right, but right. if I have to interact with these people, I want them to be friendly. I want them to be pleasant. I want to root for good people. Right. And so, you know. It's nice to be able to have that interaction with Omar today, uh, where he offered your dad a job. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. The back, the back story of that being, uh, you know, back. Uh, what year did Degrom debut? Twenty fourteen. I should know that. I should have that memorized. I, yeah, don't I think know. it's twenty fourteen. But yeah, whatever spring it was, that like that spring, um, and I think even at that time, it's not that he had no attention uh, paid to him, uh, but he was not. He was a not. Hyped Prospect. No, he was eons behind Wheeler and Harvey. Oh yeah, as far as status went, uh, like yeah. So that spring, my dad had been down on like he has on most of these trips, and uh, coming out of that, you know, he saw him pitch in one of the games and was like, "Oh, that Degrom kid!" Like it just something about what he saw that day caught his eye, and then a, a month later, he's in the big leagues, and then. Excellent from the start. And he won the rookie then, of the year that year, and you know, right? Yeah, and then rookie of the year, and then turns into the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, a couple of years later, hence Omar. Uh, you know, yeah, jo- jokingly, but uh, uh, yes, <laughs> asking if he wanted work in baseball. Yeah, which is great. You know, it was it was, it was a very cool moment. Yes, um, we also got to watch some BP. You know, which is always fun, but not super instructive. Um, you know. I, I was I was telling Chris before he got down here that um, that uh, Jarrett Parker had the best BP on Thursday, yeah. 
And then today he had an, another really impressive BP session. And I, I don't know if that is instructive of anything rather than just like raw natural power. You know, we said like Tebow had a good BP on Thursday also. Right. Or, or maybe that was yesterday. No, it was Thursday. Um, the day's all, they're all, it's, it's all the blur. same day. Yeah, exactly. In spring training. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if it means that much. Um, but, you know, it, it was, it's always interesting to watch sort of who is, who has sneaky power you don't suspect? Like you've mentioned, watching Guillaume just like rip home runs in the past during right. BP. Right. And you wouldn't look at Guillaume ever and be like, "Oh, that guy's a natural power threat," you know? Right. And um, you know, it's just it, it, it's always fun and interesting to watch that to watch that. You know, uh, we also got to talk to some of the beats today a little bit more than we had in the last couple of days. You know, yeah. it's always nice talking with the beat reporters and. Um, you know, it's just it, it's a really small fraternity at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I'm always interested to sort of see who assumes what role. Like when you think back to like, you know, five or eight years ago, I feel like Carrig was the beat reporter who like fucked around on Twitter with you. Right. Like he was he was the one who was kind of the, the jokier one. Right. And then Dave Lennon I like Dave Lennon, but he was very self-serious on Twitter. He didn't really have, he really cut loose that much. So it's kind of interesting to to put these like online personas versus the actual people, right? And get to know them a little bit, you know? Yeah, 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 no, for sure. And uh, I think there are a couple of constants. I think Puma and DeCamo have been on the beat since the first time. I that, a Jenga, a Jenga game has fallen yes, and broke a uh, beer pint glass as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, those are the hazards of brewery games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so... Puma and Tacoma have been there for some time. I don't know when yeah. Tacoma started. Puma told me today he started in 2010. Yeah, I think they so. were both on the beat. I know Yeah, I know Puma was, and I'm pretty sure Tacoma was the first time I came down. Okay. Um, a lot of the rest has turned over. Um, yeah. You know, and it's like this unique role that we have of, of like, all of us have day jobs, and Amazing right. Avenue isn't that. Uh, but, you know, getting to come down for a few days where... You know, universally, beat reporters consider spring training a grind. And yes, that's the, not to say that they're all like complaining about it. It's just they do look forward to like they each of them typically gets a small break. Right. Like Tim it. Healy left yet last night or today for his break. Right. You know, Puma said his breaks in a couple of days. You know, it's just it's what you have to do to keep saying, right. I guess. And it's the longest stretch you have of being away from home because yes. even the longest road trip. Is not nearly it's as not long six weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, as spring training. So and yeah. a lot of the beats told me they got down there like the day after the Super Bowl, so that's you know right. two weeks before camp even opens. So they're it's really two months they're home. They're not home. Yeah, you know it's, it's a long stretch. Yeah, no, for sure. So it was good, and uh, hopefully we'll you know get each of them on uh, the podcast. Absolutely, one, either one this, the, this show or one of the or other, conversation one of the or a part of their own, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that was all very fun, and then we went to um, the game today, and again, Chris took some great photos. I can't wait for you guys to see these photos. Chris really did an amazing job with it with the camera this year. Well, thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you got some new equipment, which helps, I'm sure. But oh yeah, you know, no, I, I credit the equipment. <laughs> well, I, I, I we can credit both on this show. So yes. you know that was that was uh, really nice. You got to hang out, you know, in the dugout and take photos like, yes. in a in a sort of 
like annexed to the dugout. It's not, you weren't sitting on the bench next to uh, next to. I was gonna say Mickey Callaway. Thank goodness I don't say that. Right. Down to next to Luis Rojas, but like you know, but you were in there and you got to. Oh yeah, no, at the Astros complex, it's like you wait for the. You know, you, you don't want to get in the players' way because they're doing their job. But yeah, you're going up and down the dugout steps with them. Um, it's you know, it's definitely something I've never taken for granted, and that's the Astros complex, Astros Nationals complex that's set up like like that. Uh, but it's pretty cool. The, the purpose of this trip and podcast is never to be like, holy shit, guys, I want to brag about a thing I did. Right. But I got yeah, to yeah. talk to Jeff Bagwell today, and he was my favorite non-Met uh, for his entire career. And, you know, to get to to get to get talk to him for a second, you know, and, and just have a good exchange with, like, this Hall of Fame player. Who, yeah. Uh, I got to see as a kid when, I, uh, when yeah. he was in the minors. That's pretty awesome. Um, I, I've got to meet – That was – one Hall of No, I've met two Hall of Famers before. So it's pretty fun whenever you get to talk to somebody who is like a recognized great. Right. Yeah, how many have you met? Uh, re- uh, what? How many? Hall of Famers. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I don't know the answer. I know I met Don Larson at like a book signing. Okay. I know I met Jeff Bagwell. I met. I'm sure I met Piazza. I've I, never met Piazza. Never in like a conversational way, but in like a, he was close enough signing autographs for people kind of way. Sure, kind of thing. Um, you know, try to remember. My my grandfather uh, lived across the street from the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame for a, a long time. Uh, okay, a, a while ago, and he had had like open heart surgery, and once he was recovered. The president of the hall took him to this like Hall of Fame golf outing. Oh, okay, that's so I didn't cool. meet a lot of Hall of Famers, but I have this collection of like they're like cards, not baseball cards, but like golf. Yes, yeah, scorecard type cards signed um, by them. Yeah, like index card sizes, and it's like somewhere between a dozen and, and two dozen Hall of Famers yeah. autographs. That's cool to me. That's that's my Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, thing. I I met. Uh, I met Ricky Henderson once, but that was before he was in the Hall of Fame. It was when he was the Mets' first base coach. Yeah, okay. um, met him there, and then I um, I met Frank Robinson once. So I was at a Nationals game. My brother was working in uh, Detroit, the Detroit, excuse me, DC at the time, uh-huh. and um, he was. Uh, we, we went to a Nationals game. And it was the first night that the new Nationals ownership took control. Yeah. So they had nationals at every entrance shaking your hand as you walked in. Huh. So like, some people got Ryan Zimmerman, but I got Frank Robinson as he was managing the team at the time. Yeah, yeah, And it yeah. was like, oh, that's super cool. That's, yeah. you know, that's an amazing ball player. Um, that might be it. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to jog my memory a little more for any any. But you meant Bagwell to me. I mean, that's, yes. a, that's, a, uh, that's an amazing thing. Oh, yeah, that was a cool thing. And, uh, you know, definitely a, a positive thing to focus on on a, on yeah. a day where – the booze for George Springer uh, <laughs> drowned out Astros fans cheering. Yes, you know, and whether it was just that many Mets fans or Mets and neutral who right. were there to boo, um, you know, we're a week into spring training games, and Astros players who were on the team in 2017, and some others, but certainly those big names who were there for that are are getting booed loudly. Yes, uh, in their home park, and it's not the same thing as your home park. Of course. Because this course. is a mix of fans from everywhere. But, you know, they're not going to get booed at opening day or their home opener. 
Uh, I mean, in, they in, may. In Houston. I feel like Astros fans are just so like adamant. They're like, wearing the hate me shirts. It has the Houston age. This is hate me. But I feel like every opening day. I mean, I've been to. I've been to Mets home opener sitting next to a Cardinals fan or whatever. You know, like somebody who's there. Right. So anybody who's in the ballpark that isn't a Houston fan right. is going to let them have it. That's true. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah. In but, terms of the game today, unless you wanted to take no, this somewhere else. No, 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 no. Go for it. I thought Stephen Matz, what I said to you when we left the ballpark, was like, oh, here we go, leaving Florida, and Stephen Matz looks sharp. This game wasn't televised. I don't want to say he – like, it's not like he struck out all six guys he faced. Already, right, right. But he looked – Sharp. He looked good. He was sitting 95 with his fastball. Um, just looked like he was in control. The Astros weren't playing much of a lineup. Uh, you know, yeah, it was overall. Springer Guriel. Uh, Those are the only two like significant names that yeah. played. But still, um, you know, he just he looked sharp. He looked comfortable. You know, this is the the tantalizing thing with Steven Matz is we know that there's talent there, but the combination of performance and health are rarely there. Yeah. Uh, for the course of a full season, yeah. right? Even for the course, of, uh, by the way, there's a grandma just killing it at cornhole right now. <laughs> just like really good. I want to point that out. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Matt's hasn't even, in my memory, put together like six weeks of greatness. He's had a couple of stretches for a couple of weeks, but there's right. never been this like extended period of comfort there where you feel like, oh, Matt's is coming up. He, we've got this, you right. know. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see if he can put that together this year in a more substantial way. Um, yeah. So yeah. He, he looked really sharp. David Peterson looked good. Yes. Again, and and we, we were told by Omar Manaya to look out for him today, All right, he was, which was he, cool. He was excited about the adding because he, he got a couple innings. Yeah. Um, and again, not, uh, not dominant, uh, but just like, okay, yeah, that, that looked good. Yeah. Uh, he was throwing well. Um, you know, it, we're not in a spot uh, that somebody's going to be cracking the rotation. Right. Uh, a rotation. We talked about last night a little bit. It's like there, right, that there, already, being, there being no real like chances this spring of somebody, of a prospect cracking the team. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was, still, it was good to see. Uh, Franklin Kilome threw an inning. Um, Jordan Humphreys threw an inning. Uh, they both looked solid yeah. um what else andres jimenez made a great play that was didn't botched. get recorded as an out because yeah. it was a standard scoop like a nice hop like you know yeah the 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 kind of hop of first baseman wants and pete alonzo had it in his glove and it just and didn't what i legitimately think happened is i think nobody thought jimenez would get to it right so pete kind of gave up on the play and then realized oh shit it's coming to me and right. then missed the scoop that that'll be my guess at so, least yeah I, I was underselling andres jimenez made an insane play single up the middle all the way yes we and were then, sitting in a in a press box with somebody who was tracking the game for the astros and he went like holy shit when that play uh, happened right. because he just didn't expect it you know yeah no it was, it was one of those where like you're watching, and obviously, you know your main focus is the is the baseball, and it's going. And, and it, but you, you know you're looking at it, and it looks like there's just way too much ground. And then all of a sudden, Jimenez has it, spins, throws, nice clean one hop, and, yeah. and you know nobody was videotaping the game. So sorry, everybody. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to see it. But but there was uh, you know seeing things like that, seeing that talent on display. I'm sure tons of people who have ranked him well on, on prospect lists have seen that. Right, many right. times 
I have not seen him play that much. So. Right. And even seeing Peterson, like, you know, Peterson has not been the most glowingly scouted prospect. Right. And so while he did not look dominant today, you could see a world where he improves a couple little things, and he's a solid back-of-the-rotation starter. And there's a ton of value in that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I felt good about today's game. Yeah. You know, I mean, Brandon Nimmo fell down in center field. Right. And then somebody else fell down. Who else fell down in the outfield today? Conforto? Uh, no, Fargus. Fargus, not, yes. Not, to be not confused, Vargas. Not Vargas, Fargus. But he caught the ball. No, but somebody else fell down too, didn't oh. they? Well, no, I thought he fell. Oh, he fell. He, he held on to Sorry, it. Sorry, Conforto has made a terrible play in the outfield. Yes, yes. Yeah, and that factored into the run. The run, Peterson yes. gave up, right? Exactly, Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, not stellar outfield play today <laughs> uh, from the Mets. Yeah. But that's okay. But overall, it, it was it was a... It was an enjoyable game, and, uh, you know, it's just – it's always – at one point we were standing on top of the bullpen just watching guys throw, like, underneath us. Yeah. And usually the bullpens are covered. At least in the – like, at City Field, the bullpen is covered. You can't just stand there and, like, right. spit on the on the player if you wanted to. <laughs> right. And uh, so we got – just watching the motion of the ball and watching and hearing the pop of the glove. It was just, you know, it was very cool to see – uh, it was very cool to see just a couple pitchers throw that way. We saw Humphrey that way. We saw yeah. um, uh, Gonzalez, Gonzalez. Oh, yeah, Stephen Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah, we saw him like finish up his uh, his day there, and uh, yeah, it was good. Any other notes from the ballpark today? I think those were the big ones. Um, oh, Dom Smith did a nice job on a play in left field. It was a, he did. Yes, he cut off. It was the a ball. well hit ball. Going not toward the corner, but you know, pretty, pretty well left in yes. left field, and he just did a nice job of getting to it, uh, getting it right, firing it back into second base, holding the guy to a single. Um, I was in that photo. The photo well is like part of the, the dugout, as we were saying earlier. So when he came back in, you know, his teammates and coaches were like really giving him, you know, uh, you know, praise for right for cutting the ball that off, to a yeah. single, and you know. For the average outfielder, you might get one person saying, like, nice play. Like, obviously, everybody knows that Don Smith has been thrown into this outfield thing, you know, kind of out of necessity and by the team. Um, and, and like, obviously, Peter Alonso is the first baseman. That's just yes. the way it is. Um, but, yeah, no, it, um, it was just nice to see. Like, if yes. Don Smith is making that sort of routine play when he's out there, that's it, an improvement over last year. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Chris. Well, we're getting to the end of our time here. We got to get into a car. Yeah. Uh, should we say what kind of car you rented? Uh, oh yeah. So after missing the first two days because I had been sick, uh, and looking at what it cost to rent a car for a, a short span of time, it was only marginally more. So the Mesa Avenue uh, Mobile is a red Camaro convertible with like black rims. It's an awesome car. It's a very not us car. It, uh, it's exactly what you pictured us in after listening to this show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two pasty white guys with beards who play bass in bands. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, but so was, uh, we're going to head out in just a minute. But before we do, Chris, what's your music pick for today? Uh, so I guess uh, obligatory. Everybody's heard the record, but just just in, make sure you enjoy it every once in a while. Uh, but uh, ACDC, Dirty. Uh, no, sorry. ACDC, Highway to Hell. Wrong, yes. wrong record. That's the record <laughs> that we played in the amazing avenue mobile yes uh, i guess the the best thing i can say about it is what i said when we got to uh right here where we're uh -huh. recording 
uh, like If You Want Blood, You've Got It is like late in that album. And not that ACDC didn't make good albums start to finish, but like that song is great. That's one of the best ACDC songs, and it's, and it's buried on the album. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that to me, that sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, uh, my choice is inspired by Chris's beer he ordered here. He ordered a beer called Coastline. Yeah. And there is a really sad, really beautiful Frank Black and the Catholics song called Coastline uh-huh. from the album Show Me Your Tears, which is the last Catholics album. And um, it's uh, so all the Frank Black and the Catholics album were, albums were recorded live in the studio with no overdubs. Uh, or at least the last three or four had no overdubs at all. Okay. And so they're a little bit rawer than maybe some other stuff, but like this album, I feel like they really worked in the arrangements. There's beautiful songs and like really hard rocking songs, whatever, but just recorded in one take, like live with no edits. And that's super cool to hear a band like on their shit. Yeah. They can do it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it might have taken them 40 takes, but like the, the take is perfect start to finish. Yeah. No overdubs whatsoever, no edits. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, pretty great. Yeah. So there's a couple of, it's called, it's called Horrible Day, Coastline, Manitoba. Um, there's a song called New House of the Pope, which is about Chateauneuf du Pop Wine, which is a really cool song. It's a, it's a good album. So nice. uh, Show Me Your Tears by Frank Black and the Catholics is my music pick. So, uh, Chris, we're leaving Florida. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining me on this uh, journey. Yes. <laughs> this was super fun. Uh, let's do it next year. Yes. Uh, I think we will be back. Yes. <laughs> Unless the Mets have new owners and their new press people have no idea who we are and don't care. Uh, but otherwise. <laughs> let's hope that isn't the case. So uh, <laughs> until then, go to AmazingAvenue.com for this and many, many more podcasts, articles, season previews, everything you can want from the Mets. We have at AmazingAvenue.com. Follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review it. That helps us a lot. Follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. Follow me at Brian Needs a Nap. And until we are back in the tri-state area, let's go Mets.